conventional agriculture, monocultures, big plots of land using chemicals, fertilizers, this is not going to restore our topsoil. It's very, very dangerous. Meat is not destroying our health. Processed foods are destroying our health. And if we continue down this trajectory where there's this anti-animal narrative and all animal production is dangerous and destructive, we are going to find ourselves in not only a weakened state of health, but with an environment that we can't rehabilitate in the way that we could if we just all accepted the idea that, yeah, we can do better with agriculture. There's people already doing it. And that's the direction that we need to go. We need to empower our local communities and our local farmers and ranchers and keep ourselves close to the food source. The answer is not all of these factories producing fake meats and other industrial produced foodstuffs. That is not going to get us where we want to go. And in fact, it's going to bring us the opposite of where we want to go. In today's busy world, how can we find the inspiration, knowledge, and energy to live a healthy and empowered life? If we balance and harmonize our mind, exercise our body, live according to the laws of nature, and connect to spirit, can we find a way to heal, become our authentic self, and live our purpose with love? I am your hostess, Amy Fournier. And welcome back to Awakening Aphrodite. Hey, welcome back to Awakening Aphrodite with Amy Fournier. The show is about helping you to be healthy and fit in mind, body, and spirit, as well as harmonize your masculine and feminine energy, tap into your intuition, your true source of power, and awaken your authentic self. All right, I got some fun facts for you, or maybe not so fun. Have a listen to this. In a 2022 analysis of USDA data, they found that red meat consumption declined by 44% and fluid and cream dairy declined by 48%. So basically that's like by a half, right? Animal fats like lard consumption declined by, ready for this? 78%, okay? That's 22% away from 100% gone, crazy. Butter declined by 68%. And I shudder to think with uh, what it was replaced by, God forbid, like margarine and stuff that's not even real food. 68% decline in butter, okay? Margarine, margarine consumption increased. Okay, here you go, answering my own question. It increased by, are you ready for this? 192%, shortening another manufactured food increased by how much? 91%. Are you seeing a trend here? Okay, and here's the big kahuna. You ready for this one? And this one might shock you, but this is very, very important. Cooking oils, so like vegetable oils that we've been told are so good for us, increased by, get ready for it, 321%. 321% increase in cooking oils. So canola, soy, corn, safflower, these oils are now thought to be worse for our biology and our health and our mood and our energy and our weight, not to mention our skin, hair, and nails, and our looks, etc. worse for us than sugar, okay? So you can find out more about that. Uh, there's a blog post I did. Uh, it's called The Hateful Eight, which is the top eight offenders in uh, vegetable oils was screwing up our biology by uh, Dr. Kate, which is fantastic. The food that you put in your body is more than just calories, folks. 
That's a huge takeaway of my show. If you subscribe, you hear me say that a lot because we're not told that. We think of food as calories, right? Calories in, calories out. If I eat less, then I burn off, I will lose weight. Wrong. Okay, it doesn't work that way. First of all, there's light and sound and mindset and sleep and all these other biological, biologically important factors. But food is a lot more than calories. It is information. It's instructions. It's like barcodes to your physiology. What you eat tells your cells what to do or what to not do. That's why it's so powerful. And that's why it's so exciting because it's good news. Meaning if you choose wisely and you do your homework and you listen to your body and you pay attention and you put together pieces like a scientist, like, ah, when I eat that, I feel that. I can't sleep. I'm hyper. I'm I'm moody. I'm depressed. I'm whatever. I gain weight. You just got to start paying attention and your body will talk to you and then you'll figure it out and then you'll find out for yourself how amazing you can feel when you get it right. Today's guest is Autumn Smith. Autumn Smith has done just that. She's one of my heroes because she is a strong, empowered, got it together female. And she's a mom. She's the founder of an amazing food company and and growing. She keeps just finding new cool stuff. She has been a co-founder in Paleo Valley. You might've heard of Paleo Valley. You've probably seen it on my social media, Fit Amy TV, because I'm always posting about, you know, eating their yummy turkey sticks or their, I love their apple cider vinegar supplement. They've got a great bone broth. They've got a fantastic new electrolyte drink. Uh, Turmeric uh, complex is great for inflammation. Um, just so many great products. It's a great company. It's regenerative. It's, it's got integrity. It treats animals, people, the earth with respect, and it's healthy and it tastes good. Okay, these those are just check, 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 check. Certainly, that is the criteria of a company that I would share with you. So I asked Autumn to be on the show today because she's just fascinating. She's like a walking uh, nutritional encyclopedia of information. Good proof that when you get your nutrition right, your brain works right. She's got amazing recall. And her company, Paleo Valley, is all about helping people reclaim their vitality. They have products that prioritize nutrient density in an industry that prioritizes pretty much everything else. They believe that every dietary choice and every added ingredient is a powerful opportunity to love and care for yourself. How about that for a company mission? You don't see that on a box of Triscuits. (laughs) That's for sure. Okay. So she lives right now in San Diego, California with her husband, and um, they're just walking this beautiful path together with their son and um, their beautiful company. And today's episode, you're just going to get a great education because we talk about the regenerative agriculture industry and climate change and what's going on with pasture-raised and uh, free-range this and genetically modified that and we help to really um, clarify some terms for you because how can we make the right choices when we get confused and when terms are not what you think they are when you're buying something because you're assuming it means one thing but oh nope it actually doesn't mean that thing so hopefully this show will help educate you to make the choices for what 
for you so you can buy what you think you're buying and therefore get what you think you're getting. Okay? Some of the other things we talk about today are how animals are actually part of the ecosystem, a vital part of agriculture, not to mention a healthy diet. We talk about what happened to uh, red meat and Autumn's docu-series called Rethink Meat actually was, uh, was, was started to help dispel the myth that meat is dangerous. She's got a ton of research there so you can make your own decision if it's right for you. And we talk about sustainability, how important the soil is. We talk a lot about vegetarianism. So if you're still here with me now, you're probably at least open to the fact of eating meat. And if you know a vegetarian, send them this episode so they can make an informed choice, okay? If you feel amazing, you have no health issues, you're a perfect weight, nice skin, hair, nails, able to sleep well, you have good energy, you're strong, your brain works right, then you're probably getting most of your diet right, okay? But if you're on any kind of uh, medications, have an autoimmune disorder, skin problems, mood problems, weight problems, you probably really need to look at your diet. That's where I would recommend you start if I was working with you one-on-one. So we talk about vegetarianism and this anti-meat narrative. We talk about saturated fats, seed and vegetable oils, and how Paleo Valley and her company is different and how they're transforming the food industry and the meat industry. And we talk about our favorite Paleo Valley products. I had to put Autumn right on the spot and ask her what her favorite things are. And I talk about what my favorite products are. So I hope you enjoy this episode. And if you want to try any of the products, thank you Paleo Valley for extending to my audience a coupon code where you can save some money. All you have to do at checkout is enter my name, Amy Fournier 10 at checkout, all caps. That's A-M-Y, F as in Fox, O-U-R-N-I-E-R, 10 at checkout. If you forget, don't worry. It's on my website under the recommended products. Just scroll down for Paleo Valley, click it on, boom, click the link, take you right there and shop away. Watch yourself get healthy and you're going to love it. I know you will because I like food that tastes good. I won't eat anything that doesn't taste good. It's not worth it to me. All right. Let's now join Autumn Smith. Welcome to the show, Autumn. Thank you, Amy. Thank you just for having me. I can just, I can see why people are listening to what you have to say. You have this beautiful energy and exuberance. I'm really excited to be a part of the show. Oh, thanks, Autumn. We're right back at you. I think healthy glows, you know, when you, when your, your body kind of has an energy that's emitted and people can feel it because things are working kind of right. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I'm sure you know all about that. Yeah, I'm trying. I'm trying, but you definitely have some things figured out. So, <laughs> Oh, thanks. Well, like you, it's been a journey through struggle, you know, that yeah. got me to where I am. Like so many people in the holistic health space, as you know, you know, that whole wounded healer thing of having our own personal trials and tribulations and then finding our way, you know, and forging that path. But uh, I just have to give a shout out to our mutual friend, Paul Check, for bringing us together because he's a huge fan of you and he turned me on to your amazing company and products, which we are going to talk about because I use them pretty 
pretty much every day. Um, so thank you, Paul, for bringing us together. He speaks so highly of you and how intelligent you are and how you founded this company through your own trials and tribulations of wanting to find healthy things to give your children because you're a mom. So why don't you just tell us, you know, the little synopsis of Autumn Smith and what, I mean, you, you now run this amazing food company amongst other things. It's just incredible that, you know, you did this. So share with us what happened there. Well, thanks. First, I want to say I don't, I run part of it. We have a yeah. really brilliant team behind yeah. me. So I, it's only possible with them. And also Paul, everything I learned started with Paul. I remember the day I was driving in my car and my husband as a gift gave me his little CD, uh, You Are What You Eat. And that is what turned me on in this path. So thank you, Paul. And um, yeah, my life, I had a lot of trials and tribulations. I was a uh, very troubled teen. I had digestive issues since about the age of 10. No doctor that I, you know, ran into knew what to do with me. And so we didn't do anything. And they eventually snowballed into mental health issues, anxiety, depression, eating disorder. And eventually when I couldn't manage the physical and emotional pain, I looked to substances. So anything I could get my hands on in high school, um, I tried. And I got so out of control that my parents kicked me out of my house before I graduated. And um, luckily, I still was really committed to education and dancing. I made it through college and moved to Los Angeles, became a dancer. But when my husband met me at the age of 24, I was, you know, I had everything on the outside looked okay, right? I had a good job. I was working as a celebrity fitness trainer. But when he really got to know me, he said, you are suffering in silence and I see you and I, this is unsustainable. We need, we need to expect better. We need to try to do better. We need to heal what's, what's going on. Um, and so- yeah. We went to, we were in Los Angeles at the time and he just begged me to see one last doctor. Cause I kind of lost hope in the traditional system. I just thought something was broken within me and, um, no doctor in LA, the ones we saw couldn't help either. So he got online as any new husband would do and figured out that people were seeing some luck resolving digestive issues with diet. And I thought, well, this is silly, but, but I'll try it. I'll entertain his theory. And it was in 30 days after just literally changing my diet, it was uh, so transformative that I became a new person. And I was, you know, like I said, working as a celebrity, celebrity fitness trainer, uh, but I was also crashing at night hard, skin was breaking out, stomach was bloated, I was having anxiety and panic attacks. And so I felt like a fraud and I thought, this is, this is different. This is different than being fit. This feels like being well and being whole. And I want to figure out how that happened. So I quit my job and I went back to school. I got a master's. I'm almost done with my doctorate, my dissertation finally. And so I just became obsessed with all things wellness. We founded our companies because once I had this new level of health, I wanted to give it away to the people I knew and to my friends and family and a lot of them were leading busy lives. And I thought, well, I don't. And I went on a world tour, actually. And the last assignment when I worked for Tracy Anderson was a world tour. And I, I could not find the food, the clean ingredient food that I needed in order to maintain that level of health. And so when we got back to America, I decided we're going to found a company and we're going to focus on the products and the supplements and the things that have helped me heal and the so that they can help others too. And once our son was born Maverick, we had all these existing relationships with farmers and ranchers who were really teaching us about the nuance and, and the difference that agriculture can make for food. So we founded a second company based on regenerative agriculture because 
we didn't want to wake up and find a day where our son couldn't access high quality food and where agriculture, the way that we were practicing it currently had destroyed our topsoil. And so we wanted to be a part of that change too. But so we filed, you know, Paleo Valley and Wild Pastures and more recently got into the restaurant business, which we can talk about. But the main goal here is to use, like you're saying, uh, turn my pain into purpose and just help other people avoid what I had to go through and just feel their best. Pain into purpose. It's such a powerful thing to say. You know, if we can uh, alclimatize that, that's kind of the whole goal, right? To um, make it make it worth something, you know, make it useful rather than just painful. Um, and wow, yet another person that was fit but not healthy. I mean, if I had a dime for every time I've seen or heard that, it's just so true. You know, packaging is nothing, you know, really what's going on inside is key. So Wow, we have that in common, I guess. Um, okay, so I really would love for you to really give us a practical education, Autumn, because you have done extensive research, not only in founding your amazing company with healthy, delicious foods, convenient foods, but also on um, the state of our food system right now with your docu-series, Rethink Meat. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Rethink Meat. And... Um, Give us kind of the, the, the lowdown on, I've done other shows with biodynamic farmers and perma-agriculturalists like, um, are you familiar with Jared Picard? He had no. a, yeah, he's yeah, yeah, connected with him through Paul. Um, everybody, if they're interested in that, uh, we go all into truth on organics, natural foods, regenerative farming, biodynamic farming. That's episode 98. And then also... Um, Jim Gale, I'm sure you know him, the permaculture agriculturalist. He's really a big guy, and he he actually hooked up with Paul at a conference too. He's um yeah, he's just like killing it right now. He's a permacultural ag agriculturist. So all this stuff is really popular in our holistic um, circles, you know, because people are starting to finally uh, get back to keep breaking it down, bringing it down, and getting back to all right. It's not only what you eat. And also how you think in your environment in the holistic sense, but it's also what you ate, ate and how they lived or it lived. How did that plant live? Did it live in the sun? Did it live with clean water? Did it live, you know, with nutritious soil, you know, and was the animal stressed? Was it in a cage? Was it, you know, scared to death hearing other animals being killed? Don't think that doesn't affect its hormonal system. You know, and so it's not, we're starting to now realize, okay, we got to take it way back, everybody. It's not just about, you know, reps and sets and eating salads. It's like, you got to really consider where your food came from, the conditions that the food, whether it be plant or animal, was grown in and brought to your table, all that stuff. So to give us the, the lowdown on, as a mom and a business owner and a food producer, what do we really need to know about regenerative agriculture? Like, what's the takeaway for people? Like, what does that even mean? Because people kind of think, okay, organic, but even that's been bastardized. That's not even what you think it is anymore. So give us the lowdown. Oh, my goodness. What an amazing yeah. script and such a can of worms we have to open. Yeah. But kind of the overview that I think a lot of us are missing is this uh, quote from Fred Provenza that I love. It said, we have to learn that we're members of nature's community. What we do to them, we do to ourselves. And only by nurturing them can we nurture ourselves, right? So yeah. we have this idea that with conventional agriculture that we can destroy the environment and that somehow we are not going to be impacted by that. 
because we're still producing a lot of food. But essentially, there's three types of agriculture happening today. There's conventional agriculture, which began with good intentions, right? We're prioritizing yield, we're efficient, but we're also using chemicals, fertilizers, pesticides, tillage that degrades our environment. And in fact, for the last 10,000 years, we've been living in an extractive relationship with our planet, taking out more than we're putting back in. And like a soil, like a bank account, our soil is depleted, right? We've lost between 50 to 70% of the soil uh, carbon stock. We're losing soil at a rate 10 to 40 times faster than we're able to produce it, something like 30 million acres every year. So the second type of agriculture is organic, right? Organic is a wonderful type of agriculture that, you know, doesn't use all the same inputs, but still can, we can consider it more of a sustainable type. Not all agriculture organic, because some of it will be regenerative, which I'm going to talk about in a second, but still some organic doesn't necessarily make things better because they're still using tillage. So that's a sustainable. But the problem is, as I've set up before, we are at a state where we can't sustain what we have right now, right? If we lose soil health, we lose food. 99% of our calories comes from the soil, right? Our antimicrobials, our antibiotics, a lot of them come from the soil. Energy reduction comes from the soil. Biodiversity in our environment, it comes, it starts in the soil. And so what we have to do is go beyond sustainable and we have to think regenerative. We have to accept that what we've done to the planet is not going to give us the kind of health in future generations, the type of health that they really deserve. And so we have to what do regenerative agriculture, which means go and return it to a higher or more worthy state. And so that is regenerative agriculture at its heart is taking something and making it better, using ecological outcomes to verify that the practices that you are using are in fact bringing back the carbon levels in the soil and the organic matter in the soil, which is gonna to lead to healthier plants, healthier animals, and eventually healthier humans. So there's a lot of change happening in agriculture right now for the better, right? A lot of our farmers are trapped in this conventional system where they're, it's a real risk to switch over because they're not gonna be subsidized and they're kind of going against the grain and they might be mimicked and things like that. But a lot of regenerative agriculturists and ranchers and what do I call them as scientists because that's what they are, are experimenting with this new type of agriculture. And so I think what's important to understand is that as consumers, we drive the, the direction of our agriculture, right? And these regenerative ranchers and farmers who are doing things a little bit differently um, we can vote for them every time that we choose what to eat, which is, you know, three, two, three times a day. And so, and we have to, because without them, they don't have a safety net. They don't have a promise that um, what they're producing will be valued. And so, yeah. And then the other thing is, like we said, we're going back to the idea from Fred Provenza that agriculture is the heart of health. We're not going to have it without it, right? And we didn't know what we were doing when we were using these chemicals and fertilizers that kind of degraded the soil biology. In fact, a lot of these farmers and ranchers I talked to, they say, oh, I studied soil science, but we studied NPK, nitrogen, phosphorus. We studied the chemistry. We didn't know about the biology. And so prioritizing the biology is the very, that is what's going to create the explosion below our surface in our soil that's going to create the explosion of healthy life and ecosystems above it. So yes, reductionism, right? Versus the holistic concept is what you're talking about. Because like in, in school, like you said, we isolate uh, 
nutrients or chemicals or whatever they may be. I mean, even now with supplements and stuff, like, you know, we isolate, oh, vitamin D is good for your immune system. It's good for your bones. Okay, here's vitamin D. But we don't realize that every source that nature naturally puts vitamin D in has all these other cofactors and chemicals, for lack of a better uh, term, you know, synergistic ingredients that enable your body to use it and um, have other beneficial qualities. So nature doesn't operate in a vacuum. You know, it's, it's, everything is affecting everything. And not to mention, there's so much stuff that we don't understand or even know about. You know, I mean, it's silly to think you can just like pluck out like one element of something and then you're going to have the best results. Oh, it's just like a ripple effect. Right. And what I've been really looking into recently that Polachek very much inspired was just this, you know, when you take supplements and they're isolated, I was just reading a study from 2009 where you take B vitamins. B9 in particular, folic acid and B12. And it actually increased the risk of not only cancer by 21%, but also the risk of all mortality by 38% in this trial of the Norwegian populations. We also know calcium in isolated supplement versions can increase risk of cardiovascular disease. I just read a trial in men where it did this. So exactly your point. Whereas we see with whole foods, it reduces the risk of disease. And yet when you pluck something out and you, you just try and use it in the body the same way, it, it, it isn't performing the same way because you're taking it out of that holistic context. And everyone has to remember that all of these nutrients or even hormones for that matter are all working in partnership. They usually have an antagonistic component, kind of like how you're bicep and tricep work in opposition. You flex your bicep, your tricep will stretch, vice versa. Calcium, magnesium, to your example. You know, magnesium is essential for the heart to function properly. Um, People take calcium supplements hoping to help reduce their risk of osteoporosis, and then their magnesium goes down because they work in opposition. Magnesium goes down, you have risk for heart disease, constipation, anxiety, sleep problems, muscle cramps, I mean, you name it. So to your point, when we isolate things, we we have to be aware that we're going to be uh, indirectly affecting something else, and 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 possibly screwing up that delicate balance, uh, unbeknownst to us. So we can avoid that when we go to the whole food things, which is part of what I love, even with your supplements, because you have supplements in your company, like for your turmeric or your apple cider vinegar, two of my favorites, by the way, from your company. Okay, they're supplements, but you know enough to know that you put in a bunch of cofactors that are supporting. And actually, why don't you educate us on that? So rather than someone going to CVS and getting a supplement, you know, like a turmeric, that's just literally that with a bunch of other fillers to make it a pill. You you researched enough to know that this is how nature usually puts it together so your body can utilize it better. Please tell us about that. Yes. And in fact, I just um, interviewed someone named Dr. Agarwal, and he studied turmeric and curcumin specifically for decades at MD Anderson Cancer Clinic. And so what we what he found is that I love to share is most people will say, okay, the active ingredient in turmeric is curcumin. Yeah. But that is not, I mean, it is one active ingredient, but it's not the only one. And he's done trials to show that other ingredients in turmeric are as powerful. And when you take the curcumin out of turmeric, that still performs. It still has that anti-inflammatory function that we know so well. And so 
there's dozens of compounds in these, like in a spice like turmeric. And so when you only take a curcumin, which is pretty much what you're going to find at most like drugstores or most supplements, you're taking again, that synthetic supplement out of context, right? And without all of the other amazing cofactors. And so first we started with, of course, organic whole food turmeric, because I know nature knows better than I know, right? There's things that we don't even understand yet. Nutritional science is very young. We've learned a lot, but it's very young. Then we learned about other things that enhance the absorption or our body's ability to use that turmeric, which is, you know, fat, coconut milk powder and black pepper. And so then we, yeah, and we also added other um, spices, rosemary and clove and ginger, because there was a trial showing that those three were the most DNA protective spices. And so we thought most people probably undervalued and underutilized these spices. And so we wanted to create a blend that would capitalize on that synergy and all of the whole food components that were already in it. And of course, make it organic and not have any of the crazy fillers. But yeah, it's a lot different than the other supplements you're going to find because it is their whole foods. There is not one of our supplements where we use isolated or synthetic ingredients. Yes. They're actually real foods. Yeah. Like you could break open the capsule and pour it on your food or your salad and you wouldn't really know. Like, no. you know, you don't, you don't taste that like pilly taste, you know? Like no, that's what I did for my, yeah. yeah. Oh, sorry to interrupt. That's what I did for my son and my dog. I mean, we open Me up and put them right in there for our dog and son. I do that with your organ supplement because yes. a lot of people don't like the taste of organ meats, but we know they are the most nutrient dense thing on the planet, more than vegetables or anything else. And I actually break open your organ uh, capsules and I put it right in my dog's food. They love it. They gobble it right up. I love that. That's exactly what we do. Awesome. Oh, man. Here I thought I was the smarty. (laughs) I I should have known better. Okay. All right. So let's now talk about, let me think. We talk, okay, the difference between animals that are plant-raised, animals and plants that are raised the way nature intended and conventional. Can you just give us a little more details? Because you know, a lot of people, it's like, I should get a gold star just for eating a salad. You know, it's like, okay, that's true. You know, like that, that's good. Um, but what, what would you say to all the people going, you know, at least I ate a salad. Why is something organic or, you know, residue free or, or, or free range, all that? Why is that worth the extra time and expense? Yes. Okay. So I'm going to focus this specifically on animal products because that's what I've been studying for this docuseries. But first we have to acknowledge, okay, lots of problems with our conventional agriculture when it comes to the way we raise animals. 95% of the products you're going to see in a grocery store are raised in factory farms, right? So my main qualms first, inhumane treatment of animals. Okay. So we all know that, but also really interesting research from Fred Provenza and Dr. Van Vliet to show that the um, when they're raised in those stressful conditions, the, the quality of their product changes, right? They have higher levels of glucose and, metab- and mitochondrial dysfunction and higher production of um, age-related, like ages, they call them, advanced glycation end products. So, and also these animals are not allowed to self-select their diet. So we just like animals use food as medicine, but when they're in, they're given these mixed rations, these total mixed rations, they're not allowed to do that. And so these animals might not, might not be as healthy as they otherwise could be. And in fact, a lot of them do end up getting sick. So that's one. Then we have additives, right? So ractopamine, 
is something banned in over a hundred countries linked to poisonings in pork and then also heart palpitations in humans and lameness in the animals themselves. Now we use it because it allows them to gain weight more quickly, but uh, there are real concerns, concerns enough for over a hundred countries to choose to not use this. But in America, this is still used. We also have antibiotics, right? And yes, antibiotic resistance is a very serious threat, right? Mm -hmm. 700,000 lives are lost every year. Um, and if we keep going at the rate we are, it's going to kill more people than cancer is estimated by 2050. And so there was an attempt at regulation in 2016, but they now say rather than using it to um, kind of prevent illness, or to gain weight, they're saying, oh, well, we're using it to prevent illness. And so there's no regulation there. Anyway, a lot of people are using antibiotics. A lot of people are still using hormones like xeranol. And there's, you know, over 30 hormones being used historically and only six of them remain. So I think it just makes sense to use the precautionary principle because I think it's probably only a matter of time before they're phased out as well. So excuse me, you're saying, you're just to clarify, you're saying that animals are given hormones. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I just want to make sure the audience understands this point. So it's like, remember, you're eating what you ate, ate and how it was treated. So we're wondering why children are having uh, early puberty and we're having all these emotional issues. That's your hormones. You know, we can't sleep or we're gaining weight or cancers. I mean, you've got to consider these animals are being treated and given things that aren't natural and then you're eating them and that's becoming your body. So if that's not reason right there to, to spring the time, money, and expense on as healthy as you could possibly make it with not conventional. So let's clarify, I was just finished that point, not conventional foods. Uh, as you continue, uh, Autumn, could you please clarify for us for what we're talking about? Like, what is a, what is conventional for someone listening going, what are they even talking about? Like, yeah. so what can you just define what is conventional mean to people? Yeah, conventional would be something like a factory farm setting. That is where a lot of our meat is produced. So there's hundreds, thousands of animals in small cramped spaces, right? Yeah. And they're often fed total mixed rations. In, in, in When it comes to cows, for example, you know, a lot of corn and soy, they're kind of like pre-formulated to improve weight um, as efficiently as possible. And then in pork and chicken, it's a lot of grains. A lot of grains are being grown elsewhere and flown in to, to give these animals. And they're in these huge warehouses given antibiotics a lot of time that helps them grow faster, also helps prevent illness in these unsanitary conditions. A lot of them are, like we're saying, given hormones that are going to, again, help them gain weight more quickly. And to your point, there was um, a paper a few years ago that showed that um, linked kind of xeranol, which is one of the hormones used in estrogen to precocious puberty in people in Puerto Rico who are consuming this meat. It isn't like a cause and effect necessarily, but I think it it's safe to assume that there may be a relationship there. So conventional animals are not raised like you'd think they would be on like old McDonald's farm, right? Where there's right. diversification, there's pigs, there's chickens, there's sheep, there's cows. It's we've gotten really centralized and consolidated and industrialized with our production of animal products. And what happens is there's huge, not only detriments to human health because of the additives that we're using, but also to environmental health because animals are no longer being used to improve and restore ecosystems, which they absolutely can be, but their manure is this huge waste product. And given the amounts, they can sometimes produce more manure than uh, in the U.S. cities. 
in some of these really large factory farms. And then what happens is the manure goes into the air, it creates air pollution. The people living around CAFOs and factory farms are suffering higher rates of asthma and respiratory conditions. And then also it gets into our lakes, into our streams, and it increases the amount of nitrogen in those areas. And that has led to over 400 dead zones throughout the world, one of which is in the Gulf of Mexico, where aquatic life can't live anymore because it creates a very low oxygen environment because of these algal blooms. And so fish, fish are dying. And there's also something called Cancer Alley between New Orleans and Baton Rouge. It's this kind of like area where there's like large amounts of in industry, but also where a lot of these chemicals are kind of like draining and there's huge rates, high rates of cancer, more than higher than in any other place. So that is conventional production. And it began with good intentions because there's a population boom. We didn't know how we were going to provide food for all of these people. But what we've realized is we've gone too far away from nature and we have to bring nature back into the equation because the way we're doing agriculture is, is not sustainable anymore and it's going to destroy our ecosystems um, and potentially our health. So the last thing that I want to say about conventional that I think is really troubling as we've learned in the pandemic is the social aspect, right? Our rural communities, I grew up in one, they're disappearing because we have these huge consolidated like meat processing industries and um, big um, concentrated companies, transnational companies that are producing and controlling a lot of our meat. And it's taking the community element out of it. And so before, when we had these farms, the people who were invested in the land and lived in the community and cared about the conditions were making the decisions that directly affected it. And now we have CEOs in far off countries exporting their pollution to our country, right? And stealing our jobs and um, our mm -hmm. livelihoods. And so, yes, that is what is happening in conventional agriculture. Fortunately, and, and also there's research that I'm involved in and I'm doing my dissertation on it to look at the differences in the nutritional profiles, which is really fascinating. So we know conventional beef is going to have, you know, similar protein, but it's going to have higher amounts of um, cholesterol and saturated fat in a lot of cases. It's going to have a different saturated fatty acid profile. So the saturated fats, for example, that raise cholesterol more are higher in grain-fed and conventional beef, it's going to have lower levels of antioxidants and lower levels of phytonutrients. We used to think that phytonutrients, these plant compounds, were only in plants, but we're finding when you raise cattle on diversified pastures, and we can talk about more what that what that looks like, but you're going to actually have plant compounds in significant amounts that have antibacterial, anti-inflammatory, anti-diabetic, antidepressive, all of these different benefits. And so Yes, conventional agriculture is what where we're getting a lot of our meat today, and it's very, very, very different than a regenerative system. In fact, the regenerative systems have been shown to be even more beneficial in certain trials than even plant proteins. So what I think is dangerous is this narrative that all animal agriculture is destructive or unhealthy, which is what our children are hearing these days, because beef is not beef is not beef. Grass-fed is not grass-fed is not grass-fed. There's so many nuances, and that's kind of my goal with the docu-series to help inform people about those. Okay, so much what you said there. Thank you, amazing. I definitely need to circle back and have you define for us, because you have this on your website, I'm going to direct everybody to, on clarifying how pasture-raised, cage-free, free-roaming, or whatever the heck it's called, how these are all terms that are nuanced that, that manufacturers uh, intentionally manipulate uh, the way it's kind of like what's what everyone is has been calling the 
quote, COVID vaccine. It's not a vaccine. It's, it's, it's an, it's a, uh, gene modulation shot. So what you think of as a vaccine, this is not doing what a vaccine normally does. So they changed the definition, but they purposefully use that word because people can identify with what a vaccine is not to get off on that tangent, but this is very similar. They're using words and phrases that people, you know, quick, busy, distracted, whatever, buying food, you know, you got to get home and do everything you got to do. And they see a word and they think, oh, that means that. And it doesn't. So I definitely, I want to circle back on that, put a pen in it. But I do want to also clarify for people, what we're talking about with conventional is pretty much everything that Autumn just said is if the food doesn't literally say on it, organic, regenerative farming, free range, finished, whatever, grass fed, that means it is conventional. So if, if companies have gone to the time, money, and expense to go the extra mile and raise the plants and the animals properly the way nature intended it, they will damn well be sure it, they let you know about it. So if you are eating anything that doesn't have that on the label, or you ask in a restaurant or takeout or can, you know, packaged, whatever, you're absolutely getting conventionals. Not only are you going to be contributing to the problems in the ecosystem that Autumn laid out, but you're also contributing, unfortunately, to your own health demise because all the nutrients are thrown off. You're getting more of what you don't want, the bad stuff less of what you do want. It's just, you're getting that if you're not buying the organic. That's so, that's a big reason why. So thank you. For yeah. And I just want to say too, please. natural is a, is a term that a lot of people are looking for. That means a hundred percent nothing. It means right. nothing. It means it's not, yeah. there's no additives after during the processing, which doesn't really happen with meat anyway. So yeah. And to your point too, there's interesting things like free range and um, uh, when it comes to chicken, right? And um, so that sometimes looks like <laughs> a still a warehouse where a lot of chickens are that they could potentially have a door somewhere off in the distance that they might go out, but don't necessarily even know about and don't have to go out. And so the, what you're referring to, too, is even if it's not conventional, there's a lot of greenwashing because people realize consumers are really waking up and understanding the importance of how you're sourcing your food. And so it's really hard to wade through the labels. but. But for me, I what like is, what is greenwashing? Greenwashing is where they take a term like free range and make it it kind of gives you that warm and fuzzy feeling, but doesn't necessarily isn't produced in the way that you actually would like it to be produced in. So like yeah. I say, free range means, you know, they might have access to a pasture, but not that they're fully pasture raised, not that they're living on these diversified farms and actually eating insects and, you know, expressing all their chickenness. It, it, they could still be in a warehouse with hundreds of other birds, thousands of other birds. And they're simply on, you know, like a dirt or like a cement plot and there's just access to a door. So there's just yes, a really exactly. tricky wording. Yeah. 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 So they're intentionally giving you the idea that it's this, but it's kind of really not. Like you said, they could, they could say, you know, free range eggs, but that really means chickens in a barn with a door that's open to a dirt patch that they never go see and doesn't have the, the way to forage that they normally would eat with bugs and grass and walk around in the sun. And, you know, so they, they get these little loopholes. Just, uh, it just makes me so upset. 
So I'm so I'm just going to refer everybody to your beautiful website as well, which is you know paleovalley.com. It has all that information on what to look for on the label and the different the differences between the different terms, which is wonderful because people, you know, we we just have to be educated consumers. We cannot. You always have to trust the source. It's like who are you trusting? And sometimes, unfortunately, I think people are quite gullible, and we're, we we place trust where it has not been deserved or earned. Um, you know, and it's like you can't assume everyone has the same moral values as you. It's like you know what you think is the lie, a lie, and a truth, and having integrity and being able to look yourself in the mirror and sleep at night is different for other people. You know, so it's sad. But true. I, I I don't like bringing bad news on the show, but we have to we have to be brave enough to also face reality, and that's reality. But the good news is that people like you and Fred Provenza, who I love so much, you know, he was on my show. That was one. Oh, of my was favorite. he? Oh my God! I'm in love with him. Episode one forty two. Everybody, that was such a great show. Did you? Hey, were you a licked rat? What a licked rat? What do you oh. mean? Oh, you didn't hear. Okay. So one of the, one of the big studies that they did was, uh, it was so cool. They did this study of rats, of course, and the mother rats that licked their babies had better adapted babies, like psychologically than the, the rats were the, they were ignored by the mother. So it just goes to, you know, uh, touch and affection with newborns, whether across species, how important it is that actually the worst thing you can give a child is not, you know, beating them or trauma, but rather just indifference, like, like, like they don't exist. That's the worst thing you could do for you're better off. The children are actually bet. I'm saying different studies, but this is obviously another study of her research has shown that children do the worst that are basically ignored more than the children that were actually beaten. And rats, all their animals, same way. So Rick, uh, Fred calls it the licked rat uh, hypothesis. And he, him and his wife joke each other and say, I was not a licked rat, so you're going to have to be nicer to me. <laughs> I need more TLC, you know, so. I was using that. I was definitely a licked rat. And boy, Yay. my rat. My little guy is just, There you go. Yeah, Keep licking so. those rats. <laughs> I know. Isn't that funny? Yeah, I love that. He's amazing. Okay, so let's get back to, all right, so we got two big meat packaging companies. Smithfield, owned by China, owns 55,000 acres in Missouri. So like you said, these foreign countries are buying up American land. And let's talk about the number one landowner, farm owner in the country, Mr. Bill Gates. What's that all about? And Bill Gates wants to try to pass legislation that will make it illegal to farm animals. Meanwhile, he owns all the farms. Hello. Okay. I mean, and he's involved with the World Health Organization. People have to be aware of what's going on behind the scenes before it's too late. So please, you want to comment on all that? I do. It is really scary, the direction that we're moving, right? With this anti-animal narrative, like we were just talking about, yes, certain types of beef production, absolutely environmentally destructive, and we need to change that. But other types are literally the environmental solution that we've been looking for, and that's regenerative agriculture. If you watch Alan Savory's talk on um, TED Talk, it's amazing. And it shows how he, like most of us believe today, unfortunately, thought animals were destructive to ecosystems, and he ordered over 40,000 elephants to be killed. And what he found out was when, Whoa. I know, he said he called it the biggest blunder of his career. When they died, 
Oh, he did it? He actually did it? He did it. And he had other scientists who agreed because of this long-held, unsubstantiated belief that livestock are destroying ecosystems. And I'm going to qualify that in a second. But the ecosystem got worse. And what he, he found was animals in a highly managed way that mimicked the predatory prey cycles, right? So in nature, right, back when ecosystems evolved with these very large ruminants, they were moving because they were being chased, right? And But now when we have them in these concentrated systems where they're not being chased, they're just sitting there and overgrazing and producing all this manure, they're very, very environmentally destructive. So yes, there are nuances here, but when it's a highly managed system, Alan Savory found out you can absolutely heal ecosystems, restore biodiversity, restore soil health. You can actually have the straw or the grass acts like a straw and sucks carbon out. You have carbon sequestration like in these well-managed grasslands that is actually higher than forests. So cows, animals, ruminants, they are absolutely essential. And when we have these people like Bill Gates, coming in and telling us that we need to stop eating meat because it's going to improve the planet and it's going to improve mm. health. He is not qualified to say that. He's not an agriculture specialist. He's not a nutritionist. And so it's really scary that all this land he's buying up and he's, I, I think he created the contraption for cows to wear that reduce their methane emissions. Again, more misconceptions. Methane, right, is a greenhouse gas, but also biogenic methane that comes from animals, part of a cycle, right? It goes up in 10 years, it's destroyed, it comes back down. That's very different than other types of methane and other types of uh, like a stock gas, like carbon dioxide, which is going to be released and is going to stay in the environment. And so, so many nuances to this topic, but know that conventional agriculture, which he is an advocate of, right? Monocultures, you know, big plots of land using chemicals, fertilizers. This is not going to restore our topsoil. It's very, very dangerous. Meat is not destroying our health. Processed foods are destroying our health. And if we continue down this trajectory where there's this anti-animal narrative and all animal production is dangerous and destructive, we are going to find ourselves in not only a weakened state of health, but with an environment that we potentially can't rehabilitate um, in the way that we could if we just all accepted the idea that, yeah, we can do better with agriculture. There's people already doing it. And that's the direction that we need to go. We need to empower our local communities and our local farmers and ranchers and keep ourselves close to the food source. The answer is not all of these factories producing fake meats and other industrial produced foodstuffs. That is not going to get us where we want to go. And in fact, it's going to bring us the opposite of where we want to go. It's scary. And, and that's the key point, everybody. And Autumn, thank you for saying that because what Bill Gates is not admitting is, okay, he's saying that, you know, don't eat meat, eat my fake burger instead. Meanwhile, while well, he makes a gazillion dollars on his fake burger. But what about all the waste and emissions from the factory that produced that soy piece of crap that's not even real food? You know what I'm saying? Like, no one's, no one's measuring the carbon effects of that farm which are worse, and not to mention how unnatural the whole cycle is. And let's even not even get into the effect on your body of eating this stuff that's not even food, you yeah. know? And so, they've actually done analyses on that. Quantum exactly, quantum. yes. You see that, right? So yes. every pound of, you know, Impossible yes. Burger, Beyond Burger produced, you know, 4.5 pounds mm -hmm. of carbon released to the atmosphere. But then when you you look at regeneratively raised beef in White Oak Pastures in Bluffton, Georgia, they found the inverse. 
yes. is sequestered 4.5 pounds of carbon. And, and Will Harris, the owner of that farm, told me that's how he knew there was a God. And so, yes, but take it into context because conventional beef releases about 33 pounds of carbon per pound produced. So again, it is not all beef. It is conventionally raised beef. And then regeneratively raised beef is actually better for the environment um, than these plant-based burgers and definitely better for your health. <laughs> and that's really, I'm so glad you just said that so beautifully because that really is kind of one of the main objectives of this episode is I wanted to get that message across. I was talking to just someone today that messaged me because they said they were going to try, you know, one of your beef sticks and they were a vegetarian for four years, um, but they're going to give it a shot. And I just immediately was like, well, you know, good for you, but please remember it's, it's, it's not about, you know, meat versus vegetarian, which I definitely want to get into now, vegetarianism. Um, but it's more about how, what we said in the beginning, how the plants and animals are raised, how the, the bigger picture of the ecosystem of how it works together. I mean, this is the cycle of life. And for people who don't think plants are just as alive as animals, check out my episode with Monica Gagliano. Um, she was also on Paul's show. I think that was episode 86. We'll put it in the show notes. Um, but plants are is very much alive. Trees have families. They communicate through the microcilia on the soil. They talk to each other. They feed each other nutrients. They warn each other of predators, as do flowers. You know, when the bees coming around, they emit a smell that the other flowers uh, pick up on and, and they tells them, oh, there's a bee nearby, close. And, you know, it's like plants are just as alive, everybody. It's about raising these animals the way nature intended and not treating them inhumanely and thinking of the bigger picture, not just the, the tw 10 years that you're on a farm and making money, you know? So thank right. you for saying that. Mm. Let's get into vegetarianism because in your docuseries, um, you know, that's kind of was a big part of it. Like we want to, you know, you want to, well, tell us what was the point of you making the docuseries and let's, uh, let's talk about some of the main findings. Yeah. So the docuseries came about because of our meat delivery service. And a lot of people were, when people, not a lot of people were unsubscribing, but when people did, we always wanted to know why. One of the main reasons was because they were going vegan for the planet and their health. And so obviously we broke that down. We actually, discovered and looked into the origins of this anti-meat message, which are absolutely fascinating. A lot of it is based in religion and a woman named Ellen G. White, she was a prophetess of the Seventh-day Adventist church and her um, colleague or someone who studied under her, Dr. John Harvey Kellogg, believed that uh, meat led to masturbation and these lustful and sinful desires. And so he created the first plant-based protein actually, and um, also just cereal, flaked corn and wheat cornflakes. Kellogg's cornflakes um, in an effort to deter, you know, children from masturbating. So that's fascinating. And then you find, you know, all of these entrepreneurial, William Proctor, James Gamble, all of these different elements, Ansel Keys in his research that was really short-sighted. So that was episode one. And then we dig into um, heart disease, cholesterol, cancer, does meat cause disease? And then we also talk about vegetarian and veganism because I, I am, I am all for people choosing what they want to eat. And I think that has to remain a very personal decision, right? Right. We have a lot of things in common with vegans, right? We care about animal welfare. We care about the planet. We care about our health. The part that gets me is just how unfairly demonized meat has become, right? In terms of its 
is critical for our health. You know, it is responsible for the development of our brain. It creates, it helps us preserve lean muscle mass and metabolic health. And, and the problem is processed foods, but somehow it's got blamed. Meat has become the scapegoat for what processed foods have undoubtedly done because cultures for millions of years have been consuming meat without the disease that we're suffering from today. So where I get really worried is this generation. My friend's daughter came home from school. She's nine. And she said, there's a club at school. I can't be a part of it because I eat meat. Whoa. Now, I interviewed dozens of vegans, ex-vegans, right? And like I said, I fully respect your own decision. Um, but all these themes, these health issues, autoimmune illness, bone issue, joint issues, mental health stuff. These are very real effects of sometimes when people remove meat from their diet. I think some people are genetically better able to do it than others. Um, but for a lot of people, they do start to suffer. My main concern is for children because there are so many case studies, so many examples of children being harmed in a way that they can't necessarily come back from even after they add meat back into their diet, even if they're supplementing, even, you know, their developmental windows in childhood, that if you don't receive the nutrients that you need, there's no coming back from that. And these babies will suffer. So that is why I made that episode with the intention of just kind of educating about the risks for certain people and about the fact that plants and animals foods are not necessarily interchangeable. They provide very different, unique nutrient profiles that I think we benefit from when we consume them together the most. So yes, um, I, like I said, that episode is just not intended to belittle people who are choosing to be vegan, because like I said, I have a lot of respect for a lot of their values, merely to inform that there are risks associated with that diet. And especially when it comes to children, I think we need to be very, very careful about imposing a diet on them, that it, it runs counter to our evolutionary history, even though it is celebrated in the mainstream. And so many people are afraid to kind of call that out. But there's a lot of countries that recommend against vegan diets for children in particular, but we're not living in one of them, but that doesn't mean there aren't real effects. Yes, we, you and I, no one's going to be more caring about the welfare of the planet and animals than you and I. So we're right with you with vegetarians. Absolutely, hundred yeah. percent. We care about animals and creatures and every living being, but you have to be informed, and you have to be informed, like I said, from sources that you can trust that tell the truth, and then you can make a decision. You can't have consent if you don't have informed consent, you know. So if you're going to be a vegetarian, do it intelligently from reputable sources, not from people who have ulterior motives, like Mr. Bill Gates. This sounds like a Bill Gates uh, rant, but. <laughs> Sorry, but I've been research. I, he just keeps coming up, and all my research and everything. I'm like, this guy is like bad news. But <laughs> meat, meat, highly bioavailable as opposed to plants. High in vi vitamin B12, vitamin D, iron, zinc, calcium, uh, omega threes. So creatine, all the amino acids, a good form of iron. So, um, do you want to emphasize anything on like what, like what, what do vegetarians need to know, like just to be healthy? Yeah. So vegetarians and vegans, I would definitely know that there's a lot of us who can't convert those nutrients, some of the nutrients um, in plants that are like the nutrients found in animals. So one example is beta carotene, right? It's a plant precursor 
of retinol, the active form of vitamin A, but it requires like 12 times the amount of retinol to get an active one. And some of us cannot make that conversion at all, right? I've talked to people, they just don't make that conversion. So no matter how much beta carotene you're getting from carrots or sweet potatoes, you're still not going to get that active form of vitamin A that's critical for you know our eye health and our immune system and our reproduction. There's also vitamin B12, right? That you, you just don't get when you don't eat animal products, right? Especially organ meats are an exceptional source of B12. And you will find B12 analogs in plant-based foods, but a lot of times they block the absorption and utilization of the actual B12. And so they increase our needs for that. Then we have something like zinc. So a lot of these plant foods have anti-nutrients, right? That inhibit the absorption, you know, phytates, um, sometimes even fiber. And so zinc, you have to eat sometimes vegetarians, you know, require 50% more. They even did a fascinating trial where they took a low meat diet and supplemented it with zinc and compared to the people who ate just meat. And they found that even the levels in the blood of zinc were not, were not the same with that supplementation. It goes back to that holism that we were talking about before. So yeah, meat is our most bioavailable source of nutrients like B12, of iron, which is the number one worldwide deficiency of zinc, right? Of the preformed version of vitamin A, of creatine, of carnosine, of taurine, of so many of these nutrients that we are only beginning to understand completely, right? So when you're taking out that entire food group, you are missing out. And, and B12 is so critical for the nervous system. This is where you see a lot of the detrimental effects in vegetarian and vegan diets is B12 deficiency, sometimes irreversible uh, effects when you don't have enough. I've seen people who have been manic, who have gotten psychosis and delirium and hallucinations, and, and they didn't come back until they were given B12, right? So this can be a very, very serious thing. And um, so, yeah, I would just say you need to know how you convert these nutrients. You need to test them in your blood, not just do the calculations on a, a back of a piece of paper, because we don't know how that's actually performing inside your body. And just know that you're going to need to supplement if you're cutting meat out of your diet, you absolutely have to, but the sometimes supplements don't do the job anyway. There was even a trial in vegan kids. And I think it was Finland that showed dietitians planned their diets and they also got supplements, but they were still suffering from deficiencies as a result in, in amino acids and other specific nutrients. And so, yeah, you're going to be fighting an uphill battle. I've seen people do it well, but those people are typically the exception. And you have to be very, very, very mindful. And the more important thing is you can care about animals and still consume meat. You can care about, you can still be part of restoring the planet and eating meat. And I think Paul talks a lot about this. If you are destroying yourself and your health in the process of trying to improve the planet, you're taking the very thing that can really do the most good out of the equation. Yeah. The one person who could vote for change in the way that we're raising our animals and the way that we're improving our environment, that is that person is you. And so sometimes understanding that we are a part of nature and that eventually everybody is somebody's lunch it is kind of just, it's hard sometimes to grapple with, but I think it's just, we can't let our idealistic versions of the world negate reality. It's the natural cycle of life. Like, like our buddy Fred says, nature is one big restaurant. Yes. Like, you know, I think it was actually Paul too who said life eats life, but you know, it's like, it's just the way it is. And, uh, you know, for, to your point, for us to be as healthy as we can possibly be, will increase the chances we can provide solutions and have the energy and the brain power 
to give viable solutions and have the the energy to to contribute to to them. So that's beautiful. We can't close this uh, section on on meat in your docu series and vegetarianism without you touching on. I can hear the people saying. What about cholesterol and saturated fat? And what do you got to say about that? How did that whole hypothesis start? And what is the truth? Oh, gosh, I can't wait to share this whole episode. And so we made this episode. It's done. And um, it, we had to cut. It was 20 minutes. I could. It could have been 40. So fascinating. So dietary cholesterol has been vindicated, right? Even Ansel Keys, who is kind of the father of this hypothesis that animal product consumption led to an increased risk of heart disease. He admitted way back in the day that cholesterol, dietary cholesterol for most people, unless you're what's called a hyper responder, um, it's it's not a matter of concern. So saturated fat is a little bit more nuanced, right? Um, so Nina Teicholtz in her book, The Big Fat Surprise and Gary Taubes, um, they break this down beautifully because there's a lot of study or history here. But Ansel Keys came up with this hypothesis, right? Saturated fat, the consumption of it, increase your risk of heart disease. But what was actually found, because he chose, I believe it was six countries for this study initially, and they weren't, it wasn't like a, a fair accounting. And when you added the data for the 22 countries that where the data was actually available, we found a very different picture and that the relationship wasn't as clear. And then in some analyses later done by other statisticians, it looked like animal products might actually be protective when you're looking at overall mortality rather than just risk of heart disease, right? And so there's also been several other trials um, in the 60s and 70s, primarily, that showed when you replace saturated fats with polyunsaturated fats, you don't necessarily reduce the risk of overall mortality. Now, that's the important point. A lot of times when you're looking at these studies demonizing animal products, they're looking at cholesterol levels, right? Or, you know, does it raise or lower cholesterol? But what we can't say is that that it decreases your risk of death. And that's the end point that really, really matters. Now, there's also been the Nutrition Coalition, which Nina Teicholz founded, has shown over, you know, 20 different reviews showing the same thing. Saturated fat does not increase your risk of death, according to the available best available scientific evidence. Now, that is a huge tanker, right? Like we have been on this path where we're demonizing saturated fat for a really long time. And so. Nina is working actively to get our dietary guidelines committees to acknowledge the limitations in this body of research. They haven't done it yet, but I think eventually they will. And um, so we know saturated fat is, is not, and, and plus saturated fat is a diverse array. Like there are many different types of saturated fats within that saturated fat category, right? And many different sources of saturated fat. And so to have this blanket statement that saturated fat and animal foods are dangerous is very, very incomplete. And I would say absolutely um, inaccurate. You know, uh, that's so important. And and for most uh, the people in our in our circles, it's been long debunked anyway. it's It just seems to be hanging in there in the mainstream though. Like people just can't, it's like they were born with it. It's like a, it's like a, <laughs> it's like a freckle that just you were born with and it's still there. It just won't go away, you know, like no matter what. And you know, the, the, the preferred fuel of the heart is saturated fat. And that's part of like, you know, when they would do autopsies of people who died of heart disease and they saw a lot of fat around the heart, they're like, oh, high fat diet, heart attack. And they, it's like, well, the heart functions best on saturated fat. I mean, if you really 
go into the biochemistry of it, saturated fat is more important than the other kinds of fats for a lot of reasons. It's also your insulation and, you know, to your point, we need it. It's very important. It's very important. It's more stable, right? So yeah, it's yeah. a restaurant, we cook our French fries in tallow because it is a highly saturated fat. And mm -hmm. when you add a polyunsaturated fat, like these vegetable oils that are often being touted as the more potentially beneficial, they have a lot of different bonds that can break and produce oxidation and um, these other compounds in your body that produce and promote inflammation. So yes, yeah, that is arguably the healthier fat. Oxidation, which is a, a, a synonymous with free radicals and aging. You know, as we come to the end here, I want to, you know, shift into your amazing company and, and how it's different and what we love about it. But I want to share with people quickly um, some data, 2022 data analysis of USDA. Red meat consumption declined in 2022 by 44%. Animal fats like lard consumption declined by 78%. This is just a year ago, okay? Butter declined 68%. Margarine consumption increased, ready for it? 192%. Shortening increased. So this is um, trans fat, right? Shortening increased by 91%. And then the big kahuna, ready? Cooking oils. So, so everybody, help me with this, Autumn. Cooking oils, canola. Soy, what else? Corn oil, safflower oil, sunflower oil, rape okay. oil, um, grapeseed oil. Those yep. are the main ones. Sunflower, okay. canola, soy canola. is one. Soy, soy is almost everywhere. So this is going to be what all the restaurants use. So if you eat takeout, you go to restaurants. I hate to be the bearer of good news, but again, you can't make an informed decision if you're if, if you're wondering what's wrong with you. <laughs> and why people like Autumn and I have high energy and all that. It's because we really don't have this stuff in our diet. You know, we because it, it, it makes a difference. Okay. So if you're having trouble and you're struggling, you have to, you can't be, you can't help yourself if you're not aware of what you're doing unknowingly. Okay. So if you're going to restaurants, okay, every now and then fine. Of course I do it too. I mean, I'm going to have a social life, but you have to know that this is, they're using these products. Okay. This is the type of oils they're using. It's in pretty much all processed food, anything boxed, packaged, canned. If you don't make it yourself, you're probably ingesting it. But to finish my point, the USDA data analysis showed cooking oils increased in 2022 by 329%. 300. So, People like Dr. Mercola are saying that cooking oils are basically worse than sugar. You're better off to have sugar. That's how bad they are because they disrupt the structure of your cells, which is another is basically synonymous with premature aging. Um, the the nutrients can't can't get across the cell barrier properly. The nerve signals can't happen properly. It's just screwing up the the very structure of your body. We're not designed to eat that much. Uh, oils from plants. We're, we're, we are designed to eat them from, from animals, however, animals that are properly raised. Yeah. I was just going to say, I saw on this website the other day, um, Tucker Goodrich is a good person to talk to you about seed oils. He said, if you take five tablespoons, five to 10 tablespoons of vegetable oil, which is kind of the average most of us are consuming. Um, it's like eating like 98 ears of corn and something like 60 cups of rice. 
and like 400 grapes. Like we would not be able to eat that amount without these mechanized processes that we're having today. And yeah, I think they've increased where we need like 1% linoleic acid in our diet. I think we're up of like six to 10%. So we are way past what we naturally require uh, the nutrients in these oils. And like you said, a lot of people think this is is the most dangerous dietary element that we're up against. Yes, yes. Um, Dr. Kate, is it? Shanahan. Is it Janet? I'm thinking, Blanch- is it Blanchard though with the Hateful Eight? Oh, What's I don't know. With- yeah, she's got a great, she has a whole book that talks a lot about it. But if you look up the Hateful Eight, I have a blog post on it that I refer to her. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is like the new the new area of, of nutritional research is now like, we're off the sugar train and now we're talking about, oh my God, these oils. Because, you know, I remember even 10 years ago, canola was the thing. It's like, oh, my salmon has canola oil on it. And it's like, oh my God, now we know it's like, this is a million times worse. You're better off to have coconut or olive or whatever. Um, okay. So as we get to the end here, Autumn, let's talk about your amazing company. Let's talk about um, what, how, how does Paleo Valley and Wild Pastures, your companies, how do they basically transform the meat industry? How are they part of the solution for everything we're talking about today? Yeah, so our, our uh, beef sticks are all sourced from American Regenerative Farms. Same thing, our meat delivery service. Now, this is where we really get passionate about. We, have, we make it affordable. So it's 40% less than other meat delivery services. The best part is it's all from America. A lot of 70 to 80% of the grass-fed beef in America today is imported from other countries. And so I think what we're doing when we support that is we're undermining our ability to create a sustainable um, food source and rehabilitate our soil here in America. And so it's part of the solution because we work with these small-scale family farmers and we create that demand. We connect them to the conscious consumers like your listeners who... um, whose values align with what, what they're doing on their farms and ranches. So at every stage of the process in all of our products, we're considering agriculture. We are understanding that link between human and environmental health. And so we're just creating products that um, help people support that. Excellent. Okay. You're the woman. I'm going to put you right on the spot. What are some of your favorite Paleo Valley products? I know mine. Oh my gosh. Okay. So- right? Right now I'm obsessed with our chocolate bone broth is actually, I put it with macadamia nut milk and then um, cloves, turmeric, cinnamon, ginger, and the bone. It is just the most delightful thing in the world. And then uh, I can only eat two of our beef sticks actually, because uh, garlic bothers me. And so I love our summer sausage and I love our turkey sticks. And then our chocolate bars. I am absolutely obsessed with our chocolate bars and our essential vitamin C. I think far too few people know how important vitamin C is to their health and how much having a little bit more is actually very, very beneficial, especially when it's from a whole food source. And so those are mine. What are yours? Tell us uh, before I get to my, if you don't mind, vitamin C. We Now that you just teased us with that, tell, we need to know from the expert, what tell us what we need to know about vitamin C because it's actually one of my favorites. I have it every day. Yeah, me too. So 90% of what you're going to find on the market is made from genetically modified corn and it's ascorbic acid. So ascorbic acid is the outer antioxidant outer shell of the whole food vitamin C complex. And Paul Cech said this, it really resonated with me. He said, 
what part of a watch tells time? Yes. Yeah. And it's like not one part of the watch, right? It all works together. So all of those compounds, the tyrosinase, the factors P and J and, you know, ascorbinogen and all these other things that you find in vitamin C are all working together. There's a trial in smokers that looked at what if you took camu camu juice and what if you took um, a thousand milligrams of vitamin C in ascorbic acid form? Only the whole food source was able to reduce inflammation and oxidative stress. So they're different. So we got amla berry, unripe acerola cherry, and camu camu berry because they're three of the world's most potent organic natural sources of vitamin C that you don't just find anywhere. And then we put them in capsules. And also there's 450 milligrams per serving because I, I do really think in our state of health, where most of us aren't necessarily healthy, where we have environmental pollution, we're overstressed, a lot of us are exercising, um, we need more vitamin C. Vitamin C is very supportive. And so we wanted to provide a dosage that would also support health in modern day society. So bang on. There you go. From your lips to God's ears. I love it. So vitamin C, the Paleo Valley is definitely uh, something I have every day. Another one of my favorites is your apple cider vinegar complex because it's a complex and it's real food. Okay. Which I love so much. I don't know if you're going to say anything about that or. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So yeah. I love apple cider vinegar because it's so, it's been, you know, revered for centuries, but not that many people use it today. And it has ability to kind of improve fat burning and to reduce blood sugar. I remember, you know, I've worked with people, so many people who wear CGMs and they notice when they take apple cider vinegar, you know, their blood sugar is in a far more beneficial range. I also just interviewed this wonderful woman who studied uh, antidepressive effects of apple cider vinegar. Really? Yeah. And she didn't, she couldn't yet pinpoint the mechanism, but it was in a call in a group of college students. It was really clear that it did exert some sort of antidepressive effect. And then we combined it with cinnamon and ginger and turmeric because these are all very digestive and just, you know, metabolically supportive spices that not a lot of people are consuming. So this is kind of like improving your digestion, keeping your blood sugar stable, actually helping you to eat less. Apple cider vinegar does that also effortlessly. It's 200 to 300 calories less in a day simply from using apple cider vinegar. And so, yes, just a complex uh, of different spices and um, foods that will work with your body synergistically, holistically to just improve health in so many ways. And, and apple cider vinegar has always been a medicinal food to your point. I mean, and let's not forget your immune system. You know, yeah. so it's just, it's one of the, it's one of like uh, the, the, the queen medicinal foods of, you know, but like chicken soup, you know, it's like apple cider vinegar, chicken soup. These are all things, um, that, that are, you know, back, back in the ancients. And I will, I, I can't, I can't not mention your turkey sticks. Oh my gosh. And I love the beef sticks too, because probably my favorite thing in the whole world besides chocolate is hamburger. So I love your beef sticks too, but your turkey sticks. And I, and I talk about this all the time because, um, everybody, you just have to try them because it's just so beautiful. Thank you, Autumn, for making food that tastes really good. Like if this wasn't good for me, I'd want to eat it anyway because it tastes good. You know what I mean? Like, thank God. Cause I, I, and I grew up, our, my, I'm, well, I didn't want to say I'm not a spring chicken, but you know, I'm, I'm on the other side of it at this point. And, you know, my, our family, my, my parents, they were kind of the health nuts, 
back growing, you know, they had the carrot juice and all that. And we were the weirdos. We had the Cheerios. Everybody else had the Lucky Charms. No one wanted to come to our house, you know, because <laughs> <That's> our house. <laughs> yeah. Oh, right. Okay. Because so healthy food was like eating a cardboard box. It was gross. I mean, remember power bars like back in the oh. like, they were like leather shoestring. Um, yeah. But oh, so now that just Reminded me, I just ordered a box of your lemon bars. I love lemon. I can't wait to get them in. So, oh, love it. so thank you. Thank you. Thank you for making foods that taste good, are super healthy, are consciously produced, and so convenient. I mean, everybody right there. What else do you need to know other than, oh, you got a coupon code. You can use my coupon code to save some money. Amy Fournier 10 at checkout. If you forget, it's in the show notes. It's on my website, Recommended Products. I really hope you try Pelia Valley. You won't regret it. Your kids will love them. What are some of your kids' favorite ones, products? Oh, my little guy really loves our electrolytes lately, our watermelon electrolytes. And also, we used to call the green, our super green drink, his ninja juice. Loves that. <laughs> he definitely loves the jalapeno beef sticks. His favorite used to be teriyaki. And for a lot of kids, yes, it is the teriyaki because it's slightly sweet, but it's yeah. really that and then the red velvet bars the red Ooh. velvet bars it's Darn. the texture is it's just perfection you'll love it oh yeah okay autumn thank you so much okay anything else you feel like you want to get across we covered a lot of ground today uh you know i just wanted to make the most of having someone like you an expert on so many things on the show but is there anything else you want to share with the audience before we say goodbye to make yourself feel complete Oh, gosh, just I mean, thank you for having me. This has been one of my favorite conversations. And also just I know it can be very overwhelming as a consumer, but just know, you know, changing one thing at a time, being mindful of one thing that you weren't mindful of yesterday, practicing that for a week, changing that. I mean, like, again, just like we're talking about holistic health, that sends ripple effects that sends demand, that sends support to the right, the people who are really caring about what they're producing. So just, you know, don't be overwhelmed. Just take one step at a time and know that that one step is, is helping immensely. Perfect advice. Cause we, people tend to get overwhelmed. Yep. For sure. One, one thing at a time. And the next thing you know, they'll add up and you'll be making progress. Okay. How can people find more about Paleo Valley and the docu-series please? Yeah. Okay. So you can always reach out to me, Autumn at Paleo Valley. And then, you know, for any product, you should use your code. Okay. But if you want to learn about the docuseries, you can also join our email list. You will be notified there and it should be done. I'm hoping in this summer. So there's going to be seven episodes is action packed. It's going to be really fun. There's over, you know, probably like 50 expert interviews. So Lots of cool voices, and um, you can find them on our website. And, on our and website. is it going to be like streaming? Like where where do people? You know work? what? We haven't even figured out what exactly we're doing with it yet because it was just a okay. small project. My husband was like, "Yeah, take a month, do these videos," and then I just got wrapped up in all of the incredible knowledge and um, I don't know of all of these experts I interviewed that I wanted to give it the time it deserved. So we haven't even really thought it out, but I know that we will offer it to our subscribers for sure. And probably put it on YouTube, but yeah, the details haven't really been worked out. We'll see. Well, I will be sharing it. And if you want to come back on the show, if I can help any way, yeah. please just reach out. I'd love to have you back. Um, thank you so much. So everybody that'll be in the show notes, uh, Autumn's website, her contact information, the docu series name, if you forget. And if you want to check out her products, like we said, 
Use my coupon code. You can save 10%. Amy Fournier 10 at checkout. And uh, wow, we both can't wait to hear what you think and hear your favorites. Autumn Smith, thank you so much for being on Awakening Aphrodite today. Yeah, it was my absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me. Okay. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Would you like to support my mission to help empower people all over the world to be all of who they truly are? If so, please subscribe to the show, leave a review on iTunes, and share it with a friend. And if you're looking to take immediate action to align your energy and optimize your health, visit amyfournier.com. Thanks for listening to Awakening Aphrodite. Let's awaken her together in you. I'm your hostess, Amy Fournier, and I already can't wait to be with you again and for you to hear what I have planned for the next show. Thanks for listening to Awakening Aphrodite with Amy Fournier. To learn more about Amy, check out her website, amyfournier.com. That's A-M-Y-F-O-U-R-N-I-E-R.com. You can also check out Amy's live and on-demand virtual fitness and yoga classes and sign up for her newsletter to receive a free mini ebook of three of her top tips for making holistic health a lifestyle. Again, that's amyfournier.com and get your ebook sent to your email immediately. Connect with Amy on the daily on Instagram at fitamytv, F-I-T-A-M-Y-T-V, and watch many of the podcast episodes and subtopic clips on her YouTube channel, which is also fitamytv. Enjoy, and we'll see you next time on Awakening Aphrodite.